0: Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on April 19th, 2021 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, so the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at what the legislature's up to this week, including a bill that one expert said would do the most to combat systemic racism than any other bill currently pending in the State House. Scott Morgan has a story about migrant workers and vaccines in the state, DHEC has insights on what trends we're seeing, and Dr. Thaddeus Bell discusses racial inequities the state is facing. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your daily life in these uncertain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where are you calling from, and what's going on in your world. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently the spread of COVID-19 is ongoing, widespread and not contained according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 8,235 confirmed deaths and currently there are 476,123 confirmed cases being reported in all 46 counties as of April 19th at 4pm. Our current percent positive rate is 4.4%. Currently 505 patients are hospitalized with COVID-19, 135 are in intensive care and 59 are on ventilators. So far, 1,621,000 South Carolinians have received at least one dose of vaccine and 1,096,000 are fully vaccinated. So good numbers keep on ticking up there. Spring break is officially over, folks. Lawmakers are back at the Statehouse this week for week 15 of session, which means after Thursday, there will be six legislative days left, including sine die, the last day of session, Thursday, May 13th at 5 p.m. That's right, pencils down at 5 p.m. Thursday, May 13th. So let's look at what the lawmakers are doing this week. Off the Senate floor Tuesday, members will continue their work on the budget in the Senate Finance Committee. There will be a full Judiciary Committee meeting upon adjournment. No agenda has been posted as of our taping. On Wednesday, a Senate subcommittee will take up the House-approved hate crimes bill, H-3620, as well as the Senate version, S-14. Over in the House on Tuesday, it will be a packed Judiciary Committee hearing, including on another bill that came out of the House Equitable Justice System and Law Enforcement Reform Committee, the same committee the hate crimes bill came out of. Now, while the hate crimes will increase penalties for offenses, this bill, H. 3623, would allow for inmates in jail for no-parole offenses to become eligible for early release after serving 65% of certain drug offense sentences. It also reduces penalties and revises weights for the unlawful possession, manufacture, and trafficking of certain drugs, like cocaine, and eliminates certain mandatory minimum sentences as well. The Judiciary Committee will also be taking up bills dealing with workers' comp awards for law enforcement officers injured in the line of duty. They could be considered for workers' compensation awards for stress, mental injury, or mental illness injuries after use of force incidents. There are also two bills that would deal with child abuse response protocols in the state and a Senate-approved bill that would exempt businesses from lawsuits resulting from COVID-19 exposures if the business follows best practices. So those are all bills before the House Judiciary Committee this week. Also in the House this week, a House education panel will take up a bill that will allow college athletes to profit from their image and likeness. And on Wednesday, the House Judiciary Election Laws Subcommittee will take up a bill dealing with election reforms. And Thursday morning, a subcommittee will deal with the so-called Gallo Wine Bill as well. So, a lot of things happened this week. But I want to circle back to that one bill, H. 3623, dealing with early release, drug sentencing reforms, and the elimination of mandatory minimums, because this has potentially huge impacts for the state, according to 16th Circuit Public Defender B.J. Barrowclaw. On March 17th, he spoke in favor of the bill before a House Judiciary Criminal Laws subcommittee, saying the mandatory minimum sentences on the books right now harm people's rights.
1: These mandatory minimums give prosecutors so much leverage and so much pressure that they put on defendants that they actually leverage them out of exercising their rights. They intimidate them out of going to trial. They intimidate them out of exercising their rights to have a suppression hearing to challenge the police conduct and misconduct in search and seizure law. And even, in my, at least in my, in my circuit, in your county, they leverage the mandatory minimals against letting some defendants review their discovery. In, in drug distribution cases, defendants have to decide whether or not to plead guilty without being able to see the CI video, without being able to know what the CI sent in this statement to police, without being able to know about the CI's prior criminal record to see what kind of shady character they might be, without being able to learn the deal why the the CI is cooperating with law enforcement in the first place, and without being able to review the lineup or any other identification procedure information to see how the CI identified the defendant in the first place. And certainly defendants are entitled to those things, but the prosecutors take the view of they're not entitled to a plea offer. So they flex these mandatory minimums against defendants to get them to waive their ability to even review their discovery, to make an informed decision whether or not they should plead guilty. And this, I believe, is an affront to due process. Uh, It is an affront to each individual defendant who goes through the system. But in the bigger picture, the other problem with this is, is that this insulates police conduct from review by attorneys like myself."
0: Barrowclaw said the current situation prevents defense attorneys from questioning how police handle these situations and bring charges in the first place. However, law enforcement and several solicitors said the bill would weaken the ability to take down drug operations in the state. Eighth Circuit Solicitor David Stumbo said more money should go instead to funding drug courts that help rehabilitate drug addicts caught in the criminal justice system. But Stumbo, who's the chief prosecutor for Greenwood, Lawrence, Abbeville and Newberry counties, said H-3623 would be a step backwards.
2: What we would see is the big sentences that we're looking at, these mandatory minimums that this bill seeks to remove. It essentially gave us the ability to work those cases as a criminal enterprise. And that's what we often see with drug dealers is they have you know, addicts and those that are on the lower levels, and, and, and they're doing a lot of the, the work on the streets. Well, the big sentences uh, essentially give us some leverage to work them into uh, helping us get the big fish, the ones that are dealing. And quite honestly, that's, that's the reality of what we see in the criminal justice system. I don't see this bill as improving our ability to fight crime in this state. I think it will make our state less safe. I think it will give the dealers the ability to uh, do what they do to keep addicts addicted for longer. Uh, and as prosecutors and law enforcement, we're trying to work towards things like drug courts that actually help us k- keep the prisons free from these nonviolent uh, addicts. But quite honestly, if we can, we can streamline drug courts for all 16 circuits. We can fund it. Some of the circuits can afford drug court, but when the fines and fees money went away with the COVID shutdowns last year, I'll tell y'all, I had to put a a stop to new cases in our drug court. And what that does is it doesn't help addicts that need the help. Uh, And then if we reduce sentencing with the bill that's before the subcommittee today, uh, it's gonna hurt our ability to hammer the ones that are are feeding on the drugs.
0: So that bill, H 3623, moved out of the subcommittee in March with the support of the three Republican members on the panel, which included judiciary chairman Chris Murphy. He's the sponsor of the bill. The two Democrats on that panel were not present for the vote. So we'll keep an eye on this one and where it's going. Again, we have limited time left until sine die. So sometimes the path to success might lead to the following year for some bills. So we have a quick business section for you today, and it features a report from South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan. So, you know, anytime we carry a Scott Morgan piece, you got a lesson, it's gonna be good, folks. And this one focuses on how the vaccination efforts with migrant workers is going in the state. Here's Scott.
3: On a ridiculously gorgeous Tuesday in April, the acres of peach trees at Titan Farms cut quite the image across a cloudless morning sky. Harder to spot are the workers busily thinning these trees Picking off extra leaves so that the peaches can grow up nice and sweet by the summer harvest. But Amancio Palma, the director of field operations, and I do find Ariel Vera, a familiar field worker from Mexico who calmly slays a social media fueled perception that foreign born ag workers are afraid of getting the COVID
4: vaccine.
3: In fact, Vera was looking forward to getting it, mainly because. He had COVID in Mexico, as did his wife, and neither had a good time with it. So for Beta, the ability to get vaccinated when he got to South Carolina was a grand relief. And it's been just as much a relief for his colleagues, several hundred of whom are already here from Mexico to work these fields, soon to be joined by several hundred more.
5: In the peak of the season, this operation will have about 800 H-2A workers and about 100 domestic workers full-time and part-time.
3: Chalmers Carr is the owner-operator of Titan Farms. He's also the chairman of the State Farm Bureau's Labor Committee and president of USA Farmers, an association of growers that utilize the H-2A program, meaning there are no undocumented workers here. H-2A provides work visas that allow laborers to be here legally for several months. And while they're here, they work and live in tight groups.
5: We have mass communal housing, if you will, 25 to 40 workers living in one facility, If one person was to get infected, you could see how that could really affect a lot of people. Straddling the corners of Saluda,
3: Aiken, and Edgefield counties, Titan Farms is one of the biggest ag operations in the state, which means...
5: It was very important to me to be able to get all of my workers vaccinated that wanted to be.
3: As it turns out, pretty much all of them were quite eager to be. About 80 percent, actually. And those numbers hold up across a lot of farms. On a farm that had 70 guys, they had a 100% participation rate. Mike Lollick is the president of Low Country Labor, which helps connect growers and ag workers into the H-2A and H-2B visa programs. He's looked into several ag vaccination events in the state and found almost universal eagerness among migrant workers to get vaccinated. And on a farm that had 129, all but three did. So that was 126. And then... On a farm that has 125 guys, they had 125 guys take it. Like other large growers in the state, Titan Farms has held mass vaccination events for its workers and in some cases for the workers of neighboring farms. Carr says the most recent event two weekends ago here drew more than 1,000.
5: And the beauty of that was the, the workers that went on the first vaccination got their second treatment, but new workers that have arrived since then were able to get the Johnson & Johnson one shot. And that participation was even higher, almost 90%. And that had a lot to do with the previous workers telling them
3: that they had no problem with the vaccination or anything like that. Carr says that the way communications have happened at Titan Farms has changed everything.
5: Our normal communication had been big groups, us talking to them, and no feedback.
3: That was before COVID. Carr says the pandemic immediately rewired the dynamic. Meetings of small groups of about two dozen in which staff explained COVID procedures to field workers. Then we would
5: turn around and ask them, what are you hearing? What are your concerns and all this? That is probably the biggest success for this company not having
3: a major outbreak of COVID. Carr says the company has had nine cases in total, most following the holiday season when cases ballooned around the country. None of the cases disrupted operations at the farm. Back in the truck with Amancio yeah. Palma, those miles yeah. of not quite ripe yet peach trees sailed past in a soft blur. It's hard not to want to draw some tortured metaphor yeah. or another about the signs of sweet life returning in summer like a good crop after a long year. Yeah. But Palma doesn't see the future in tortured metaphors. He does see us getting through all this, but more as a communal effort. The thing about it, if you protect yourself and
5: respect others and do the same thing everybody else, I think we. We can manage this, you know, it's going to take a long time to to go through this, but we got to do it together. We cannot do it by ourselves, you know.
0: And just to drive home one of those facts again, undocumented workers should not fear they will be discovered and deported by getting vaccinated, this according to the CDC and DHEC, which adds that no one needs to ask for an ID when administering a vaccine. And on our way out, some business news to be on the lookout for this week. Both Boeing and Sunoco, the only Fortune 500 company headquartered in South Carolina, have their annual meetings on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively, and will also get first quarter earnings data from Boeing next week. On this week in South Carolina, I spoke with Dr. Thaddeus Bell about racial disparities facing the black community when it comes to the vaccine and what needs to be done to dispel myths that drive hesitancy among vulnerable populations in our state. Bell is a Charleston-based physician and CEO and founder of Closing the Gap in Healthcare, a nonprofit that provides health education for African-Americans and other underserved populations.
6: Vaccine hesitancy is very real in the African-American community. And so that information was very, very important to us. And so we partnered with them to use the results of that survey to validate some of the health information that we were going to be using via audio as well as video to uh, encourage the African-American community to feel more comfortable with taking the vaccine. And of course, um, it has worked out very, very well. We are constantly revising our uh, audio and video tips uh, to be up to date based on a lot of the information that we've gotten from ADOH and a lot of information that we have been able to get just from going around in various parts of the community to find out from uh, African-Americans and other marginalized people why they are not feeling comfortable regarding taking the vaccine.
0: And hey, Dr. Bell, what are you hearing? What are they telling you when, they're, when you ask them about their comfort level with these vaccines?
6: Well, certainly the one that you hear about mostly on the news, uh, is very well validated um, by the stories that we have heard and that is the uh, long history of mistrust uh, that the medical community has had with the African American community. And many people, not all, but many people talk about uh, the infamous uh, Tuskegee uh, it's experiment. But interestingly enough, we do have a segment of the population that know nothing about uh, the the Tuskegee experiment, but they have heard uh, about other uh, atrocities uh, that have been perpetrated uh, on African on African Americans. Um, certainly um, the, the distrust that many African Americans uh, have experienced uh, with the last um, administration has also caused a lot of hesitancy. And of course, the one that we oftentimes hear about is the speed. I think naming the, um, the program Walk Speed um, conveyed the wrong message to the African-American community and other marginalized people and they internalized that and for them that meant that we were going to come up with a vaccine that was very very come up with it very very fast mm-hmm. and we we're not going to have all of the data uh that we needed to have in order to make that vaccine uh, very very safe uh
0: what what do you think needs to be done what are you obviously you're, you're trying to get this data and to get out there and to really address and tailor your messaging, but what more do you see needs to be done? What, what help do you need at this point?
6: Well, I think the thing that we are concentrating on, uh, closing, the, closing the gap uh, in healthcare along with the I Got to campaign and along with ADOH Scientific, we are trying to make sure uh, and we are trying to collaborate with organizations that are looking at people who are in the margin. People who don't necessarily have the wherewithal to be able to get on a computer and make an appointment. Uh, People who may not have transportation to get to the site in order to get the vaccine. And then we also want to spend time in educating people who may not look at television or listen to the radio. Uh, They may be getting their information from. Uh, from very poor sources. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to look into our community, the black community, and we are trying to make sure that the people in the margins are not being left out. And so we have made some recommendations to DHAG and to hospitals around the area to make sure those kinds of things uh, happen. Uh, and some folk are taking our recommendations.
0: A recent study of data from 13 states indicate that when compared to white persons, Hispanic and American Indian or Alaska Native persons experienced 1.7 times the rate and black persons experienced 1.4 times the rate of emergency department care visits for COVID-19 during October through December 2020. The study reported in the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report said emergency care data offer insight into COVID-19 incidents. However, differences in use of emergency department services for COVID-19 by racial and ethnic groups are not well understood. These data, most of which are recorded within 24 hours of the visit, might be an early indicator of changing patterns and disparities. Next up, let's flash back to last Wednesday when the Community Vaccination Clinic opened up at Columbia Place Mall in partnership with FEMA, the state, City of Columbia, and Richland County. The site can deliver up to a thousand shots of Pfizer a day with no appointment and no photo ID required. There are Spanish and American Sign Language interpreters available, and like other vaccine sites across the state, anyone can come. Again, no appointment necessary at Columbia Place Mall. And DHEC said there are requests for other such sites around the state. Good news. Keeping with DHEC, Assistant State Epidemiologist Dr. Jane Kelly spoke with reporters on Friday about the latest on the vaccine rollout in the state as well as what we're seeing right now after recent holidays and spring breaks and who is most at risk for new infections.
7: There is a slight uptick in younger people being hospitalized. Remember, originally, you know, the, most of the people who were being hospitalized were the older adults, you know, age 60 and above. Uh, now that so many of them are vaccinated, we're seeing a shift. So the shift in cases is to younger groups, but the shift in hospitalization is to younger age group as well. I, you know, part of the reason um, we've had dramatic decrease in the number of deaths is because the old, you know, who was at greatest increased risk of dying it was people over age 60 and so and the people in long term care facilities and so since a great number of those people have been vaccinated vaccine definitely contributes to that decrease in death rate In terms of number of cases though, who are the new cases that we're seeing right now? It's in younger age groups and it's younger age groups who are not necessarily vaccinated. So we're still urging people who may view themselves as, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm not worried if I get COVID-19 to reconsider and to reconsider getting vaccinated for several reasons. Number one, even if you're young and healthy, we have seen Young, previously healthy people become very ill with COVID-19. And yes, death is rare, but serious illness can have serious long-term consequences. There's also something called long COVID or long haulers, you know, people who have COVID, maybe even just mild COVID. But then their symptoms linger for months. And there is some evidence that vaccination can actually help you get rid of those symptoms earlier. And the last thing to emphasize is, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to stop with the mask, distancing, avoiding crowds until we have most people vaccinated. So the way out of this pandemic is to get vaccinated.
0: Those long haulers concern me. And again, I'm glad I'm vaccinated because there is still much we don't know about the long term effects of this new virus. So if you're still on the fence or are worried about the temporary side effects of the vaccine, just think of the long term effects of this virus if you get it not to mention the possibility of death and transmitting it to other people. Now, we heard a lot about breakthrough cases as well. That's when someone is fully vaccinated but still contracts the virus. This is something incredibly rare and also tends to happen in older people with weaker immune systems. This is what Dr. Kelly says.
7: Of course there are breakthrough cases. Nothing in life is 100%. I mean, even when we talked about, remember way back when, when Pfizer and Moderna first came out, it was remarkable, 95% efficacy not 100%. They had a few breakthrough cases in the phase three studies. This has always been anticipated. So the fact that we have some breakthrough cases in South Carolina in the United States, I you know, that's to be anticipated. Many of those breakthrough cases were asymptomatic. This should not be a surprise. This this is just is not a newspaper headline about having some breakthrough cases. But to give you the numbers, In South Carolina, by the last reckoning that I had heard, we've had 155 breakthrough cases. And recently, CDC similarly announced, I'm just looking at my numbers, um, 5,800, 5,800 breakthrough cases nationally. That's among 77 million people who've been fully vaccinated. So that's 0.007% of people. So, I, and okay, maybe that's not all, maybe there are some other asymptomatic breakthrough cases out there, but it's a really tiny number. Just like with flu vaccine, even if it doesn't prevent you from getting the flu, it would prevent you from getting severe disease. So those people who were vaccinated had breakthrough, by and large were asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic.
0: Always great information there from DHEC, and you can find out much more online at scdhec.gov slash VaxFacts. And as we head out, Pfizer's CEO, Albert Bourla, recently said that people will likely need to get a third dose of the company's COVID-19 vaccine within 12 months of completing the vaccine. Boosters are something that we keep hearing more and more about and something we can expect due to variants challenging the vaccine effectiveness. More research will be forthcoming on this. Welcome to the Wind Down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. Tell us how you're handling things, what's going on in your world. If you're traveling, if you're staying home, if you're fully vaccinated, what's going on? Any side effects, good or bad? Let us know, 803-563-7169. AT? Yes. I hear we have uh, some sad news today in our Uh, voicemail. This
4: this is a real a, uh, real downer of a voicemail for me personally mm. uh real 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 shot to the gut mm. of this podcast writ large. Oh really gosh. I don't I mean this this is gonna be tough. But mm. anyway, don't let me don't let me take up any more time and make it about me. <laughs> let let's listen. Let's listen to this voicemail. Go ahead. Go go ahead.
8: What's up guys? It is your uh friendly neighborhood, Trader, Trader Joe, checking in. Can't speak this morning, sorry. Um calling in just to check in, let you guys know as of last week I am, uh First shot in the arm, uh, got it, immediately went and very, did a very long bike ride around town all day and got a little sore in the arm, <clears throat> got a little uh, got a little headache, a little tired. But other than that, it was fine. Nothing that didn't prevent me from doing another long bike ride the next day. So um, if you're in your mid to late 30s and pretty healthy, you should be getting your shot. Just go ahead and do it. Why not? You know, it's not, ain't no 5G. I'm still running on 4G here. I'll be surprised if I don't lose reception while I'm calling you guys. Uh, anyways, I uh, just wanted to give you guys an update on my part. Trader Joe's doing just as good as always. Um, trying to do our best. Trying to be as friendly and caring as possible to each other and our people that shop there. Customers, that's what they're called. On another note, I will be leaving the state of South Carolina. Uh coming up here in the next few weeks and months, I am me and my uh partner, my lovely partner, are going to be moving back to my home state of you guys were close last time you guessed it, Massachusetts. Um up to the South Shore Mass. Uh gonna move in with my grandmother because I'm up there in the uh in the years and needs a little bit more help around the house and, is my last of two remaining family members and has been like a second mom to me, so I would be in error if I didn't go there, but that's not the reason I'm doing it because I want her. Anyways, uh, I'm going to miss, I'm going to keep listening in, but I'm going to miss being able to call you guys and give you South Carolina um, specific information and updates, so if you guys listen to this Anybody listening to this, you probably know who I am if you come to the store in Columbia, so feel free to say hello. Um, I'm going to miss this place. I've been here since I was 10. Um, but maybe we'll come back one day. But I'm still going to have nothing to love for you guys. Still going to maybe even call in every now and again, and, you know, maybe I'll give updates on, like, Red Sox games or something. I don't know. Anyways, I uh, hope you guys are doing well. Glad to hear everybody's doing okay. Glad to hear um, that we're – Doing as good as the Kansas State. I uh, will talk to you guys soon, and uh, thanks for
0: listening. Trader Joe, always great to hear from you. Talk about burying the lead there. Obviously, Hello. he was excited about the vaccine news, so he yeah. let us off of that, and then. Uh, the big drop of him moving back to Massachusetts. That's harsh. For that, family reasons. Harsh. I get yeah,
4: it. That's I get understandable. It. I mean, family is really important. I, see, I mean, I support real that. real stand-up guy, that Trader Joe. But I can't say that I'm, I'm truly happy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss him. I'm yes. going to miss you, Bob. And I'm
0: glad to hear that we'll still be with you. Uh, yes. 18 and I now need to move up our timeline to storm the, the nearby Trader Joe's and yes. just photobomb or do whatever we can do to... To, to the, sto- the storm is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the force takers, <laughs> Trader Joe's. <laughs> uh, if you guys are listening, you understand what we're talking about. Anyway. To die
4: hard. Real patriots <laughs> understand what we're talking about. You got some news, A.T., talk, talking about travel. Speaking of traveling to the Northeast, uh, Caitlin, my wife and I, we're finally both full-vaxxed. Uh, both sets of our parents are fully vaccinated. <laughs> so... We are going back to New Jersey for the first time in uh like 18 months, 19 mm-hmm. months. That means uh we're going to we're going to have we're blast through the past. <laughs> we're going to be doing remote pods again so beep, boop, beep, bop. We won't be in the studio, but uh so w- when we were planning it, Caitlin, my wife, she asked me uh, uh uh what 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 are you most excited about? And she was expecting me to see, say like, "Oh, see my dad, see see her parents, see our family." And I was like, Oh, easy. I want bagels. Bagels. I was going to say bagels. <laughs> I want bagels, I want pizza, and I want fried calamari. Yes. <laughs> He's like, those are the three things that I want to do. I mean, I, I've brought you back bagels at yeah. one time he, when I was he in went, Jersey. He went to Jersey for a second, <laughs> and I was like, you need to go here, like, and you need to get me bagels. like,
0: here's a dozen bagels. Yeah, I, I ate them all. I don't
4: need a dozen, but please bring me back some bagels. I'll have bagels. I, I'm going to get extra. Oh, I'm also going to get yingling Premium. <laughs> Anyone that can go to the Northeast knows that there's yingling, and then there's yingling premium, which is one better. So It's like Bud Light Platinum. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be fooled, folks. Yeah, the funniest thing to me about it is, so there's yingling, which everyone knows what yingling tastes like, and then there's yingling premium, and then there's yingling light. And I'm pretty sure all three of them are the same thing, sure. just with different labels. Because every single one tastes the same. <laughs> but you're like, I just need it now. I, I yeah. need the gold can. Yeah, it's all virtue <laughs> signaling to just have the gold can. <laughs> yes.
0: I think I might be down in Charleston this weekend. So we might both be
4: operating from the longest distance we've ever operated from, probably. Saner people. Modern technology. Saner, we can people, do it. saner people would take the day off. You know what I mean? But not us. No. We're dedicated. We can't. We have too many truths to tell the people. <laughs> There's too much news. Uh,
0: I'm I'm terrified what our fans would do if we like, you know. We have given them you know one here, one there, but we've we try to limit that because I, know. I, I don't want anyone getting get out of the habit. I want to keep you in the habit. I want to keep you listening.
4: Hey. Sister Act 2, back in the habit, baby. Oh, well, we got to keep everyone in the
0: habit. We're not going anywhere, folks. We're still here for you. Any
4: chance to mention Whoopi, we will. Whoopi. You patriots know that. Anyway, Whoopi. Gavin, take it, take it. <laughs> Whoopi made it work. Oh, baby. <laughs> oh, thank you all for listening to the pod. Show us your
0: appreciation by leaving us a review on iTunes or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. Also, stay date with the latest news on SCETV.org and South Carolina Public Radio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. Also, make sure you check out This Week in South Carolina every Friday at 7.30 p.m. on TV and Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina.
4: Okay. I'll I'll give you a read so you can work your little doohickeys over there and shake them up. Just give me a second here. Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Just... Go ahead, give me a second here, right quick, okay? If you could just stop for a second.